The Big Scary Show is brought to you in part by Dark Imaginings. Web design, creepy changing portraits, and much, much more. DarkImaginings.com Welcome, boys and ghouls. It's time once again to kick open the old mausoleum door and see what climbs out. Clawing his way out of a fetid grave is Drew, a.k.a. Rabid Badger. Pull up a slab with Jim Millspaw in his award-winning role as the Professor of Torture, Meat Hook Jim. Jason Storm is here as fan favorite, gothic commentator, Storm. Do you smell something burning? It must be Salem's favorite old crone, Jonna Summers. <laughs> now light a torch, grab your pitchfork, and make like a bunch of terrified villagers. You found another episode of The Big Scary Show! <laughs> The holidays are almost here, and the Big Scary Show hosts are getting excited. We're mauling some wine, preparing the Christmas goose, and finishing up our shopping. Hopefully this season isn't causing you undue stress. If so, then we suggest pulling up a comfy chair by the fire, grabbing a hot toddy, relaxing for a while, and let episode 304 of the Big Scary Show calm you, inform you, and entertain you. Storm is ranting about Krampus getting into extreme sports in a hot minute. Meat Hook Jim discussed the gas chamber in between the corpses. Badger reads the latest in Deadline News and brings you an interview from Hacker House's Krampus event. The old crone talks about your end of year checklist. Do we have a gruesome giveaway for December? Stay tuned to find out. Weister returns for his take on a new Godzilla movie. And of course, we're spinning some holiday tunes to keep you in the spooky spirit. The Roundtable of Terror invites Alex from Haunt Bay to discuss the results of their State of the Industry survey that they ran earlier this year. The numbers have been crunched and the results are quite interesting. Did haunts make more money? Did more haunts open off-season events? What were the biggest sources of revenue at haunts? How does your haunt stack up against others? Take a listen and find out. All this and so much more as Big Scary Show episode 304 begins right now. If you are alone, don't answer the phone. It could set you up for a visitor who turns killer. He is not particular as long as you're beautiful, sensuous, and photogenic. 
You see, he poses as a magazine photographer and schedules an appointment for murder. Yours. I know because it happened to me. I was one of the lucky ones. I didn't keep the appointment. You'll see the complete story in the new shocking motion picture, Don't Answer the Phone. Rated R. Under 17 must be accompanied by parent or guardian. Hello, everybody. Drew Badger here. We are live on the road. It is cold. It is the Christmas season. We are out here in Pilot Mountain, North Carolina at Hacker House for their very final weekend ever. After 27 years, they're doing a Krampus-themed event out here. We've got a Krampus around, some evil-looking elves, and all sorts of crazy, crazy characters running around. We're getting ready to go through the haunt here, but we wanted to have a few minutes with the owner, who is also kind of crazy in and of himself. We call him Cliff Martin. He he may call himself something else this particular weekend, usually known as a professor during Halloween, but uh, after 27 years, man, this is the last weekend for Hacker House. How It's got to be bittersweet in some aspects, but maybe a relief otherwise? You know, it's it's the strangest thing. I, I, I really don't, I really don't feel it. We're just, we've been enjoying the moment. Uh, we had their last uh, night of the October season. Uh, all, all we did was talk about what happened. You know, just just had a great time. So right now I'm just you know hanging in with the moment, having a great time. Uh, I'm looking forward to being able to enjoy the fall season next year. I can only imagine, you know, there there hasn't been many leaf-watching days, and there probably hasn't been any haunted attractions you've gone and visited over the past, you know, quarter century plus. So, you know, it, it'll be nice to enjoy a little bit of retirement, it sounds like. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, go, go, going around to, to some of the friends' haunts and uh, actually enjoying the show for a change. and Instead of uh, worrying about my own. <laughs> no need to put out fires now. Let other people do that at other places. So I can only imagine you're probably going to get a ton of invites over the summer to, hey, come visit me, come visit me, let's see what's going on. <laughs> well, that, that, that'd be great. Uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, I think it's going to be a fun year. It's, so far, this year's been great. We've had our customers have just been amazing. And uh, the guys come out tonight to... To support the local food bank, and it's a, we're having a great time. I think the the folks are being very patient with us right now. Is we're getting uh, finally getting our queue speed up a little bit. But um, yeah, we're having a good time. We've been standing out here probably about thirty minutes, and we've been watching people go in and out and everything. And the crowd, the line waiting to get in is is spectacular. And I can only say that's probably a great homage to all the years that you've been out here, and everybody's heard, you know final season people from far and wide all over northern north carolina central north carolina southern virginia and other places are just coming out here to check you guys out one last time it's it's been an interesting mix of some of the folks i've talked to uh have only come to the, our off-season shows and not our october show interesting uh and that's that's been their thing they've been coming to our shows you know for i guess the 10 or 12 years that that, that we've been doing them um and a lot of return customers from our October show. I'm looking forward to uh, uh, a buddy of mine, Stella, who's come to the Hacker House since 2000. So I hope she makes it. She drives about two and a half hours to get well, here. Yeah. So did we, actually. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. And Drew's up here. Hi, Drew. Hey, hey how you doing, man? Charlotte's yeah. not across the street, That's but right. you know how it is. But, you know, had to come up here, sir, and say, you know, farewell to one of my favorite haunts in the state of North Carolina. You know, I don't. I never got up here as many times as I wanted to, but I've always enjoyed the time here. 
And again, after 27 years, you deserve a well-deserved break here at Hacker House. Lots of fun. I don't know if you're going to keep the websites or the social medias going or just kind of let them just kind of do what they do. But I'm certainly sure that there's going to be a lot of cool picks out here at the Krampus Weekend out here celebrating the local and helping to support the local food bank as a lot of great haunts such as yours tend to do this time of year. So once again, Cliff Martin, congratulations on a long and storied career here in the state of North Carolina. You've been an institution here and a and a very scary one at that. Well, thanks, Drew. appreciate it. Absolutely, sir. Getting ready to go through here and be scared at Hacker House for, unfortunately, the final time. My name is Drew Badger. We are on the road here in Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, and we are out. Looking to step up your costume? CFX products perform in every environment. Film, haunted attractions, stage shows, theme parks, cosplay, and good old-fashioned Halloween. Created for realism and comfort from the number one company leading the industry for over 16 years, a CFX silicone mask isn't finished until you put it on. Whatever your needs, CFX has you covered with silicone. And once you put it on, you too will agree that a CFX mask will be the most comfortable rubber you'll ever wear. Find your new face today at cfxmasks.com, cfxmasks.com. Midnight Syndicate, up on the housetop, on the Big Scary Show.
Hello, this is Alex from Hanpei, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Broadcasting to you from the darkest regions of the Earth. This is A Haunt Minute. And now, with this week's commentary, Storm. Alright, so a Haunter's favorite subject at this time of year is, of course, Krampus. And it's a brave new world for Krampus. You know, things are a lot different than they were 600 years ago in Austria when he last rode around with St. Nicholas. Nope, the world is a different place and Christmas works out pretty good, but, you know, he's got to, you know, occupy some of his time in between. So it seems that Krampus is getting more extreme. Extreme sports, that is. That's where I found some footage online of uh, Krampus in Italy taking over a ski resort. That's right, taken to the slopes. I uh, started out with a pretty mean-looking uh, motorized snow trike uh, driving around, uh, scaring some people about to go downhill, and then actually, you know, standing there as people were coming down the slopes. And, uh, you know, of course, Krampus went into the lodges and, you know, found all the naughty uh, kids and adults that were sitting around, you know, having their cup of hot chocolate and tasty beverages to stay warm so you know watch out for that one if you're on the slopes but the other big thing the other extreme sport that Krampus has gotten into and I found was footage from a German professional wrestling show yes that's right Krampus has gone into the squared circle he's now a wrestler and he's not half bad apparently He's also gone to the gym because he is completely jacked up and got some professional hair removal going on, too. Because other than his head, there, there's nothing else going on. So, uh, oh, and by the way, he also got a really nice tan. So, Krampus is tanned, jacked up, and he's putting a smackdown on people. Um, you know, doing some pretty heavy-duty moves and stuff. And, of course, some baddies came in to help him out. So, he definitely got the win in the one match I saw. But uh, just goes to show, you know, even these olden creatures of lore and Christmas long, long ago can uh, adjust and adapt to modern day times and getting all extreme on us. So next time, keep every minute extremely scary. Tune in next episode for another Haunt Minute. Hi, this is Josh Gates from Travel Channel's Expedition Unknown, reminding you to send all hate mail to storm at bigscaryshow.com. Good evening. My name is Deadfield, the zombie butler. Visit me and all my friends here at vfxcreates.com and check out the new Putrid Pete 
the zombie puppet. We have several new products that you might want to see. <laughs> see you soon at vfxcreates.com. Music by Midnight Syndicate. Hey, this is Nick Stahl from Terminator 3, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hello everyone, it's Drew Badger. This is Deadline News for episode 304. And unfortunately, we're going to start off with some sad news from Scream Acres Haunted Attraction in Bishopville, South Carolina. One of our family members, Adam Thomas of Camden, South Carolina, passed away on December 5th at the too young age of 38. Adam had been a part of our family for many years and was an overall great person. He was good to everyone he came in contact with and would give you the shirt off his back. He was a beloved friend, brother, uncle, son, and very recent father. We ask that everyone please keep his family, friends, and baby girl in their prayers. We love you, Adam, and you will be dearly missed. The Big Scary Show sends its deepest condolences to the family and friends of Adam, Ryan, Thomas, and the Screamakers family, and offers up this moment of silence. On a lighter note, we have this from the Chambers of Hell Haunted Attraction and Market coming to Hophog, New York. Killer clowns, cannibal nutcrackers, Krampus, and more. Our Christmas haunted house, Santa's Slaughter, is happening weekends through December 22nd and 23rd. There's three haunted houses catering to the chaotic king of spirits, Krampus. A village of Christmas vendors, the Frost Lounge, complete with a full bar and themed drinks. This is going to be no ordinary holiday in hell. Get your tickets today. Get more information and those tickets at chambersofhell.com. We have an update from Days of the Dead coming to Atlanta. Days of the Dead is pleased to announce the addition of actress Alyssa Sutherland to the guest roster for Days of the Dead Atlanta, happening January 26th through 28th at the Cortland Grand Hotel. Alyssa Sutherland is an Australian actress and model best known for her role as Queen Aslog in the History Channel television series Vikings. Days of the Dead Atlanta tickets are on sale now, and don't forget, we'll be taking over two floors in 2024. The second floor will be our huge tattoo show. Get more information at daysofthedead.com. We have this from Dread Hollow Haunted Attraction in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Scream in the new year in the realm where dark deeds and shadows and gruesome horrors behind closed doors feed an unquenchable yearning for evil in the tainted town of Dread Hollow. The lights and glitter of the holiday season can't mask the horrors of Camp Dread, where creatures of the dark and sinister predators lurk in the shadows on the hunt for prey, and tour Grimsby's Slaughterhouse, famous for their fresh kills and ghastly offerings sourced directly from the town of Dread Hollow. The Grimsby's will entice you to join them to become a tasty part of their holiday feast, happening December 30th and January 6th from 8 to 10 p.m., Tickets are available at DreadHollow.com. We have an update on the latest film in the Alien franchise. This comes to us via iHorror.com and is edited for content. 
Ridley Scott's Alien film was the one to kick it all off. His direction, along with H.R. Giger's design, changed the face of sci-fi horror. Following that phenomenon, the unthinkable happened. James Cameron followed it up with a blockbuster sci-fi epic, Aliens, that took the franchise to new terrifying heights. The new Alien film, coming from director Fidi Alvarez, is said to take place between those two monumentally epic films. That's right, Alvarez's new feature is taking place between the arguably best two films in the franchise. Kaylee Sparani stars in the new film and confirmed with Variety when the film takes place. Quote, They brought the same team from Aliens, the same people who built those Xenomorphs actually came on and built ours, she said. So getting to see the original design with the original people who have been working on these films for 45 plus years and has been so much of their life has been really incredible, unquote. The new Alien film stars Isabella Merced, David Johnson, Archie Renault, Spike Fearn, and Eileen Wu and is being produced by Ridley Scott. Fede Alvarez's Alien film is heading for a theatrical release August 25th, 2024. We have some interesting news from FrankenCon in Knoxville, Tennessee. FrankenCon and Central Cinema present Beyond the Mat and a bonus Lucha movie surprise. With the anticipation of the Iron Claw being released, which will be at Central Cinema beginning on December 21st, we are proud to present Beyond the Mat from 1999, which has become a cult classic for wrestling fans because of its behind-the-scenes style, which has not been done to this extent before. Plus, we have a Lucha bonus movie that has to be seen to be believed. FrankenCon will be in attendance, giving away prizes and doing some fun trivia. Don't miss this event for wrestling fans of all generations. Purchase tickets at centralcinema865.com. And finally, we have this news from Darkwood Designs, based out of New Orleans. We're now accepting jobs anywhere in the United States. We're taking commissions for 2024. Darkwood Designs builds and paints custom scenery and props for haunted attractions, screen parks, theater, television, zoos, trade shows, and film. We can help you captivate your audiences to suspend the reality you want to put them in when we bring your vision to life. Perhaps you have a great idea, maybe an illustration, master plan, or even a rough sketch. We can explore your idea through creative collaboration, practical knowledge, and I strive to help you captivate your audience and create lifelike or fantastical scenes that support your horror-filled vision. We deal in solutions, not problems, and understand the many pressures that are unique to the haunt industry. They are simply second nature to me. My 36 years of experience in the construction field means I have the perfect understanding of what it takes to deliver complex projects on time, on spec, and on budget. Included with me, if needed, is a talented team of designers and other artists with in-kind passion for haunting, and we excel at producing high-impact, inventively detailed scenes with haunts that are both imaginative and functional. We are now accepting offers to bid. Message us, and let's get this rolling. We're booking for 2024 now. References are available on request. Thank you. Sincerely, Kevin McMullen. Get more information at his Facebook page, facebook.com slash darkwooddesigns.
Remember, folks, if you have news in the haunted house, Halloween, or horror industries, and you want it on the show, email it to us, news at bigscaryshow.com, and we'll get it on the show. No news is too big or too small. This concludes this edition of the Big Scary Show's Deadline News. <laughs> Spectral Illusions is a digital production studio creating video effects for your home or pro haunt. They carry over 30 stock videos ready for immediate download, as well as USB drives preloaded with multiple effects. In partnership with AAXA Technologies, they now carry projectors preloaded with multiple effects. And now Big Scary Show listeners can get 15% off downloads, USBs, and screens with code BIGSCARY15. Projectors not included. Visit SpectralIllusions.com and add some life to your haunt. That's SpectralIllusions.com. Hi, this is Mark Muncy from the Erie, Florida book series, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Midnight Syndicate, Parade of the Tin Soldiers, on The Big Scary Show.
And ladies and gentlemen, we hope you are listening carefully to the last show. Let's find out if somebody was, because it is time for the December gruesome giveaway sponsored by our fantastic sponsor, Screamline Studios. It's still not too late to get over to ScreamlineStudios.com. Shop away, folks, because let's face it, there aren't that many shopping days left until Christmas. So anyway, if you remember last episode, we asked a question. The answer was in the show. We selected a random entrant, and I believe we have them on the line. Random entrant, what is your name? Where are you located? I am Aliana Bird in Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. There's some good haunts down that way. So, Aliana, are you the same person that I met at Haunt X in Reno and at the Halloween and Haunt Show in in, uh, Dallas before it became the Texas Haunters Convention? I am. I love going to to horror conventions. Okay, it, it's been a long time, but yes, I do know who you are, in the essence of full disclosure. It's great talking to you. But uh, before we have a big tearful reunion here, let's find out if you are indeed the winner of the gruesome giveaway. I have a couple of quick legal questions I do need to ask you. So, question number one, have we contacted you in any way, shape, or form other than to tell you to call in? Nope. All right, question number two. Have you tried to entice us to pick your entry through any means necessary? Nope. All right. Well, Aliana Bird from Houston, Texas, if I recall the question, it went something like this. During our last show's Roundtable of Terror, our guest, who was Craig Hines from Dark Imaginings, mentioned that he had opened up a publishing company, or had started a publishing company, in 2020. What was the name of that publishing company? Uh, Stygian Press. Because he does a lot of web design and he he started at Stygian Press for some books, uh, horror and sci-fi and such. And Stygian Press is indeed the correct answer. So congratulations to Aliana Bird. You are indeed the December gruesome giveaway winner. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. I want you to hold on the line so we can get some uh, shipping information. But, Aliana, do you work for a haunt? Do you do a yard display? Did you own a haunt? Do anything like that? I have, in the past, I have done my own yard, and I have worked with Creepy Hollow in the past. I haven't done it just just recently, but um, I do love it. Oh, maybe whatever they send you from Screamline Studios will entice you to go back to work for them or create your own yard display again. But um, anyway, we first of all want to thank Aliana Bird and offer her congratulations for being the winner of the December Gruesome Giveaway. We'd also like to thank ScreamlineStudios.com for giving us these great prizes each and every month. Remember, folks, next month is a brand new year and 12 brand new opportunities to win the gruesome giveaway here on The Big Scary Show. Want to take your haunt to a new dimension of terror? Then let Dark Imaginings conjure up some ghoulish graphics and web design services for your home, haunt, or crypt. Mm. To see more of our products and services, Drop by darkimaginings.com 
Let us help you get ahead of your competition. <laughs> the Roundtable of Terror is very proudly sponsored by HauntPay. Whether it's time ticketing, virtual queue lines, or anything else related to online ticket sales, have Alex and his staff set you up at hauntpay.com. And ladies and gentlemen, as we wind down to the end of 2023, we look back at the year that was and what a year it was or has been for the haunt industry. You know, some of it was great. Some of it was maybe not so great. We'll have to uh, discuss things like that. But something we like to do about this time of the year is we like to kind of discuss the state of the industry. How was the haunt season how were the offs, the off holiday, you know, events, the Friday, the 13th, the halfway to Halloween's, the Christmas, Valentine's Day, St. Patty's, etc. We kind of don't really know of a great way to do it other than surveys. And we have somebody that has been on our show many, many times, including talking about surveys with haunt owners about basically how their industry is going. They put a survey out from Transworld through the summertime, trying to find out what they think is going to happen. Those numbers have come in. A lot of those numbers have been crunched. And we have our very fine, ironically enough, sponsor of the Roundtable of Terror, Alex Linebrink from HauntPay, on the show to talk about the HauntPay industry report that he and his staff have put out for the last few months and kind of discuss how they thought the 2023 season was going to go and whether or not it met expectations, exceeded, did not exceed. Let's find out from Alex. Alex, I know we talked to you at IAPA, but it is always good to see you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks a ton for having me back here. Absolutely. And of course, we couldn't do this without our other hosts, including up in Rhode Island, we have Storm. Uh, greetings from the Traffic Apocalypse Center. <laughs> they just down shut down the one bridge that goes from the east to west of the state with the interstate. That sounds like a nightmare right there. That that should oh, be yeah. on. Yeah, Oof. it's falling apart, so it, it'll be a while. Oof. Great. Down in Cincinnati, we have Meat Hook Jim. Well, obviously, we've got our sponsor on the Roundtable of Terror because we are contractually obligated to let him show up at least once. But we'd love to have him all the time. <laughs> We have Thanks, had him Jim. on a couple of times over the last few months, so, you know, welcome back there. Going out to Fayetteville, Arkansas, we have Jonna, the old crone, who uses HauntPay. A proud user of HauntPay, and yeah. excited to talk to Alex and, and learn what's going to happen. My name is Drew Badger in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm a little melancholy right now because I just went to the very last event that Hacker House Haunted Attraction put on this past weekend for their Krampus event. It was fun. It was spooky. It was scary. And it was bittersweet. So let's talk about something a little nicer and happier. Let's talk about the state of the industry. Alex, up a little bit from 2022. You're, you've ran it for several months prior to the season. 
How did it go? How were the numbers? How did it all play out? And how did it apply to the actual season? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, it's always interesting when you survey people and get some information from uh, from folks on what they think they're going to see. And that's really what we're looking at with this on industry report. We did this survey from from March uh, through uh, August of this year. And then at the end of the August, we finally cut it off and we decided to put it all in. We put a nice design around it. We filtered all the data, which takes a lot longer sometimes than you'd think. Um, because, you know, we're giving away gift cards as incentive <laughs> to, to fill this thing out. So we get a lot of people filling it out that aren't necessarily the people they say they are. So you have to try to disqualify them by saying, ah, that's obviously not a real person. They're just clicking the first answer on everything <laughs> or something like that. You know, uh, there's a lot of that going on. And this year, you know, one of the things we tried to do was was make that data more valuable. So the whole reason we do this is because we feel like there's not a lot of reliable data around sales and marketing and that side of things for Haas. There's a lot of cool stuff that everybody's, you know, doing around around the themes and what's going on for that year, what's new in 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 the the industry as far as scares and and yeah, theming and props and all that sort of thing, but there's not a lot around the payments and marketing side. So that's why we put this together every year, something that hopefully can help out real haunters, you know, to run their haunted ha attraction more efficiently. And so this year we actually filtered that data down. So we got rid of, of, of a lot of the data that we could tell was, was just haunt enthusiast. Thank you for taking the survey. We'll save that data for some other stuff, but we didn't include it in the final report here. We got rid of a lot of the data that was just, um, people that were actors at haunted attractions and didn't necessarily know what was going on. And we really focused in on haunt owners, haunt managers, people actually running the haunted attractions this year because we felt like their data was the most reliable, the stuff that that passed the sniff test, if you will, you know, uh, that's going through there. Um, and it was really interesting. I'm 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 happy to dig into this, but it was really interesting some of the ways that uh, they were dead on on what they thought was going to happen this season, and some of the ways that they weren't dead on, you know, and the progression from year over year. Um, so yeah, I mean, are there any specific areas you guys want to want to dig into, or just want me to start uh, shooting out some highlights here? Well, one of the th questions I was going to ask was: this past year, Transworld was in February, was not in mm -hmm. March. That that threw a little bit of a you know a, a little bit of a monkey wrench into the machinery, so to speak. I know there were some yeah. big vendors that could not travel and make that yeah. show. There was a lot of people that didn't make the show that normally would. I mean, it was still a great show. There seemed to be a lot of people still buying and everything. But did that affect the way people bought props and placed orders and animatronics? Because I, I know one of our other sponsors, we won't mention names, did not make the show because of weather fears and things like that, which may or may not have panned out. But did Transworld going a month early? And they had to because of the renovations going on at the America Center. Did that yeah. affect these numbers? I, I can't be there in, in February, so I'm not going to make as many orders or I'm not going to, you know, check out everything without seeing it in person. Did that affect these these numbers or the survey answers? Yeah, you know, I think it's, uh, uh, I'll preface it with this. We didn't survey anybody based on props and what they're doing with their prop purchasing habits and that sort of thing. We, we surveyed them based on numbers going through their haunted attractions. So all I could say is anecdotal. 
uh, side of things. And and yeah, I mean, I think it certainly affected things. I mean, you were at Transworld as well as I. A lot of the vendors that we both spoke to, um, one, didn't show up because they couldn't make it that early. They weren't ready. You know, that wasn't enough time to get everything going. Um, and, uh, and I think a lot of the ones that were there did very, very well. It was still a very large show. It was one of the best attended, if not I think Transworld said it was the best attended ever, right? If I recall. Yeah, I, I believe so. You know, I'm not I'm not Jenna Rich here, so I don't have the final numbers <laughs> on it, but but I believe they said that, which is amazing, you know, uh when that happens anytime because it's already a huge show. Um, and I definitely talked to some vendors, especially in our vicinity, that were doing very, very well there. And I think they got some overflow from some of the guys that didn't show up. But here's the weird thing that I also saw. I don't know if you kept up with any of the vendors that didn't make it. I spoke to you know a handful of them that said that they still sold out. They weren't at the show, but they still sold out nearly the same time with online orders and that sort of thing. So Ooh. they were still able to move their inventory despite not being a trans world. Now that's not everybody. Again, that's very anecdotal. I'm not saying don't go to trans world. I'm uh, not saying that at all. Uh, I love trans world. We'll be there, you know, in March and, and uh, excited for it again here. But I think it was a big year. I just think there was a lot of excitement coming out of a big 2022 and a, a really big 2021. Obviously the numbers were really up the last couple of years and uh, people were buying like crazy when it came that time of the year. They were ready to buy these props and expand their attractions. We saw a lot of the new uh, new attractions this year, which is some of the data we can get into, too. Um, so I think all of that certainly had an effect on what was going on, though I just can't tell you exactly what all those full numbers are because we didn't survey that part of things. That's fine. As far as um, were there a, a large amount of brand new haunts this year? Are you able to yeah. tell that? Or were there haunts that took one, two, or three years off because of COVID and they came back this year or they said at least in March or April they said they expected to be open. Did did that include, was that included in part of your survey? Um, yeah, so uh, we certainly did a little bit of that, uh, a little bit of the surveys on, on what you were doing there. And I can tell you just on our platform, I have some numbers that are pretty good just, you know, from our data coming out of the system too. Uh, we had 52 brand new haunted attractions this year. Brand spanking new, had never sold a ticket before, had never opened before. Um, I love that. I guess I should preface this. Some of those were transitioning. So they were open before they just never sold a ticket. So they were transitioning from home haunt to pro haunt, a few of those. Uh, but the rest were brand new ones. And I'd say it's probably a handful that were transitioning and the rest were brand new ones. So that's exciting to see. That's a large number to me there. You know, it, I, I can't believe that, that we're still getting that many new haunted attractions because we don't get all of them on our platform, right? So the fact that we had that, there's probably double that at least that were new haunted attractions out there. And that just means the industry is excited. The industry is growing. People are supporting haunted houses, um, which I, I can't you know, think of a better thing to say right off the bat here. Yeah. What were some of the things that you were expecting that did happen or things that you expected that did not happen as the results of these surveys? You'll see some trends from year to year. Uh, these aren't the exact same numbers from year to year, but you'll see some trends from what I saw said last year. So one of the things you know that I and our surveys uh, really expected was higher sales when people aren't waiting in line. And that's that's a big thing. You know, Jonna mentioned this, uh, you know, before when we were talking just a little bit about the virtual queues, we've had a ton of discussion about time ticketing and virtual queues in the past. And, uh, you know, uh, a whopping 85% of haunts said that they 
um, we're moving to. And this is up from last year, about 75 or something like that last year. It's up. 85% of haunts this year coming into the season said they were going to offer a way uh, to get past the normal lines, whether it's virtual queues, time ticketing, front of the line passes, something like that. Uh, they were going to offer a way to get people through the line faster or to avoid waiting in line. And that's if you're if you're following along at home, page 21, we've got some info on that. Uh, but uh, uh, I think that's really exciting. You know, that trend that's going there, because who likes wait- waiting in line? Uh, you know, sometimes there are some really cool cues that they have great actors and they do some fun stuff in line. But honestly, you could do that anyways, right? You could do that without having a line around that. You could just have a cool open area with those same actors running around with more mobility, with more space, with more ability to, you know, have unique interactions there if there weren't wasn't a line and it was more midway type format. So I don't think it gets rid of that opportunity of those queue line actors to get rid of lines as much as possible. And nobody really ever gives a good review about saying, oh, man, I had an extra long line at this haunted attraction. I loved it. Nobody says that in the reviews. Uh, So it gets rid of those bad reviews that people are leaving there, keeps everybody happier, you know, and 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 that's half the battle, right? Keeping people happy before they go into the haunted attraction. You guys know this. You know this way better than I do, Drew. You've been training people for a long time to say, you know, get those people excited, get them, get them, you know, energetic before they go into the haunted attraction because they're going to enjoy it so much more if they're already in that right mindset. But that can be hard if they're annoyed and hungry and tired and wet or whatever, you know, from the weather, cold from waiting in line for two hours or three hours to get in, a, in an attraction. So I think virtual queues um, and and uh, time ticketing and other things to limit those lines is, is one of the best things, best trends in the industry right now. Also, you know, key thing here, people are spending about 61% more online this year. That varies. I think last year was closer to 70% more online. We've had years past, but it's always way more than they spend at the door. They're spending online. And, and that's really exciting to see uh, because that is the opportunity, right? Like you, if you get people pre-purchasing, you can get them in those time tickets. If you get people pre-purchasing, you can get them in those virtual queues a lot easier than having them wait in that line again, dampening their spirits before they get into your attraction and into your midway. Plus, you just keep them spending at your midway. They can go to concessions. <laughs> they can go to merchandise, all that sort of thing. Um, so you probably heard that from me a zillion times, but that's one that we expected that's one that people did. About a third of our haunted attractions were enabling haunted uh, virtual queues this year. That's crazy. It's, it's continually gone up. We thought that this was going to be something we released for 2020 during the pandemic, and that might die out after that. We had no idea, you know. But it turned out it's just a better idea. So yeah, maybe 10%, you know, uh, uh, plugged into the virtual queues in 2020. And then the next year was actually higher. The next year was higher. This year was nearly 30% of our attractions were using virtual queues. Wow. Um, some with time ticketing, some without, uh, but uh, virtual queues to keep people from waiting in those lines. And I love that. And I know uh, John has had some experience with that, right? Yeah, I've used it um, the last two years right. and it works great. But there are those who still don't get it. Yeah. Because they'll buy the ticket. <laughs> You know, and the person, you know, at the door will say, okay, you're now entered into our virtual queue, yada, yada. You, you should have an email or a text message. And they'll go, yep. yeah, I've got that. And then they'll come back and they're like, well, where's the line? We don't have a line. <laughs> <laughs> or they'll come back and they're on the stand and then somebody will get in front of them. And they're like, well, we were here before them. 
yeah, they've been here longer, just in the virtual queue. There's always going to be that that um, that little curve of learning that this isn't, you know, standing in line is not the norm here. We're doing this now. So, but but overall, I love it. I think it's great, and I love that I'm able to control the flow a little bit better um, of how many people go in at a time. I'm able to stagger it because, you know, having a small haunt, you know, I have to keep people a certain distance away so that they don't hear what's going on ahead of them. I love yeah. being able to work in my breaks, you yeah. know, so I, I control how often, you know, like, okay, well, we're, we're going to take a break after this group. We don't call up any more people, you know, inside, you know, doing the games and everything. They have no mm -hmm. clue that my staff has taken a 15 minute break. <laughs> yeah, not, that's true. I'm not having to worry about, you know, a line standing out there going, hey, come on, you know, step, clicking their, you know, heels and tapping yeah. their watches and stuff. So there's so many advantages and I really, really love it. I, I think that's an awesome example. Like you just don't see the change in the speed of line. You're not tracking that. That's not the only thing you're able to watch that whole time. A lot, tons of advantages there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I love the queueless, you know, technology, be it, be it time ticketing or virtual queue, anything to limit that waiting there. I know that one of the things we had talked about a couple of months ago and, and you blew it out of the water was you were talking about, you would watch live ticketing being bought or people buying tickets live. You were like, well, I hope we're going to hit 4,000 people at once buying tickets. And I think you hit all the way up to like 10,000. Yeah. We're very close. Uh, is there a way to find out how many of those people are actually purchasing tickets while at the attraction? Maybe they're buying an upgrade or they're buying a VIP package or are these people that were just at home and were like, well, let's, we just, you know, decided just on a whim to go ahead and purchase tickets and go. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's a yes, great question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, certainly you can track, uh, as John knows well, you can track who's buying at the door through the app. Mm -hmm. We know exactly. who's buying through the app versus who's buying online. But one thing that, that, you know, maybe you were alluding to a little bit, Drew, but if not, maybe I'm just reading into this. We've seen a lot of people doing, again, towards this eliminating lines, is putting up a QR code or, or link mm -hmm. or something like that on a banner outside your attraction to convince people to buy online on their phone while they're waiting at your attraction as they're going into your attraction. And this can avoid, you know, going through that point of sale line, right? Like because you're able to check out online and go straight to the people scanning the end or the virtual queue, check in yourself as well. You know, so those are some options there too. Yeah, John. I was going to say, be careful though. If you put a big poster up, uh, you have to be careful of the size of your QR code yeah. because that can distort it and, and cause it not to work. Um, yeah. I had that issue last year. I, I blew it up too big. And so people were trying to do the QR code off the poster and they're like, it's not working. It's not working. It's not working. So that was a total waste of money um, <laughs> doing that, that size of poster. And it was frustrating for me and, and the people who were trying to do it. So I had to pull out a small one and, and did that. And it worked great this year. Definitely worth testing ahead of time for sure. Yeah. How, how big or how small a QR code works or how big is too big, Jonna? Um, I want to say it, I, I ended up doing one that was like a three inch by three inch square mm -hmm. or something. And so I, what I did was I had like all of the other stuff was big, but then the QR code was still 
you know, I really highlighted it and, and stuff like aim, aim your phone right here, you know, type thing. And it worked great. We've definitely seen the size. Yeah. We've seen bigger ones that still work. Okay. When you're far enough away from them. But what we've noticed is that when people blow things up, they get a little distorted, right? If you made yeah. it small and you're just zooming in, basically it's going to get all pixelated. And if your phone is, these cameras are so good on these darn phones mm -hmm. nowadays that they pick up that pixelation and, and they don't pick up that it's just the QR code then. So you kind of do want to design it. If you're putting out a big QR code, you got to make sure you make a really big QR code that is actually at that spec as well. And I think, you know, our team can help you with that. If you ever run into troubles with that, we know how to make them high definition or we can help you make some high definition ones. But I totally get what you're saying. Changing those sizes can can be devastating on those QR codes if it's just being blown up or shrunken, Jenna. Yeah. I learned. I learned. Adjusted. <laughs> worked great this year. Yeah. So, I mean, in short, Drew, we can totally tell. I don't know right off, you know, how many of those, you know, when we hit that 10,000, you know, that were on the site at a time buying tickets, how many were, were doing it on their mobile device at the establishment versus away from. We're not really tracking their geolocation that closely on that. Uh, but yeah, I can tell you, you're absolutely right on. We hit 10,600 and something. Um, I looked back at the numbers after we had our conversation at IAPA there. Uh, at one time that we're on the site, you know, searching for and buying tickets, a lot of those there. Uh, and that is by far our biggest ever. I think we'd hit like 4,000, something like that in years past. And, and that, yeah, that's why that was that. our initial goal. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that is incredible there. So, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for remembering that. <laughs> uh, I can only imagine what it's going to be next year. Do you have a way of tracking, like if somebody's buying an immediate open time? It versus like buying one that's in the future there. Yeah. That's yeah. As opposed to like an hour in the future. Yeah, certainly. So what we have, and I'm sorry, this isn't in the survey results. So it's getting a little off, but in our system, we have the ability that you can plug in Google analytics um, when you're, when you're doing this and what we send through to Google analytics are a ton of, of different data. And then it has its own data as well. So one of the things that we send through are the times for each ticket. We send through the name of each ticket, the times for each ticket, uh, but you can compare that. So there's ways to download the data from Google Analytics and do a comparison. And one of the things that I started talking to Drew about at IHOPA, which I'll bring up real quick, because this is not out yet, uh, but just to plant the seed in your mind, uh, coming out at the beginning of uh, 2024 here, we've got this new AI assistant that'll analyze all that data for you. So you Ooh. don't have to do the analysis. You can have it do the analysis and say how many people you could literally ask it in plain english how many people um were buying or what percentage of people were buying within an hour of their actual time slot and it'd be able to tell you you could say what's the difference on last week versus this week of uh the vip you know front of the line pass and it would be able to tell you if it's up 10 percent or down 10 percent put it in a graph for you it's an amazing technology to be able to do this all in plain language uh, it's kind of funny because like we used to write in like DOS and stuff on our computers. We used to interact with with like command line, right? You know, I grew up with the Commodore 64, you know, programming in command line on that. And uh and that, You're not that, that old, Windows. Alex. You're not that old. <laughs> we got Windows right and so you start getting visual and now it's just going back. It's just going right back to text there, which I think is fun. <laughs> I do want to remind you, you are listening to the Roundtable of Terror here on The Big Scary Show with our very special guest, Alex Linebrink from Haunt Pay. 
talking about the uh, Haunt Pay Industry Report that they put out earlier this year, talking about the state of the industry. We're going to take a very short break to hear this very important message, ironically, from Haunt Pay, and we'll be right back. Are you looking for a comprehensive ticketing solution for your haunted attraction? Haunt Pay has the answer. We skip the features you don't need and focus on the ones you like, such as timed ticketing and repeat time slots, variable ticket types, bundle and combo tickets, social media discounts, and now featuring all-in-one options including managing your tickets online and at the door, as well as upselling and managing your merchandise and concessions with a comprehensive report on everything at the end of the night. Head on over to hauntpay.com and get started in 60 seconds for free. And we're back to the Roundtable of Terror, talking about the state of the industry, some trends, some numbers. How did the 2023 stack up here at the end of 2023 with our very special guest, Alex Linebrink from HauntPay, very fine sponsor of this Roundtable of Terror. And I just want to throw it out. Are there any questions from the hosts at this time? You know I've got one. Okay. <laughs> so I love the landing page that you guys have. So people go to my website, get tickets. They got the little button to get tickets, and it takes them to a great landing page for Haunt Pay that looks the part. The thing is, if I want to use Haunt Pay throughout the rest of the year for other events like escape room or or whatever, can I? I don't want to send them to something that's got a zombie on it. Um, what do you, what do you offer that we can use Haunt Pay year round for other events besides just our haunt? Come on, you you don't like the scary eyes for your your I, weddings? I love, <laughs> I love it, but, but you know, not everybody is demented as I am. So yeah, yeah I hear you. Uh, yeah, so I mean, for that reason, that we want to make money the rest of the year and enable our clients to make money the rest of the year too. Um, we do have a whole other brand, so. So we have Passage. It did all start with Haunt Pay. I, I think I've given you my history. I grew up around haunted houses, did the that thing. My father's birthday was on Halloween. We built a haunted yard every year. And, and I got into Transworld and Midwest, you know, decades ago. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, as far as, as this goes, once we got into Haunt Pay, we saw that the system was working and we started building out for there. So from there, so we actually have Passage is our overarching name. GoPassage.com is the URL. And uh, and you can see a list of all of the different event categories we work with, from music to food and drink festivals to sports to escape rooms, all sorts of stuff there. Really, anything you want to do, but you can use that. And it's non—it's a very generic branding, then, right? And and you can change it. You can make it feel more nightlifey or just more, you know, standard boilerplate. Um, and there are no scary, you know, graphics, no scary eyes anywhere. Uh, but we also do have, you know, uh, vertical specific, category specific sites like Haunt Pay for haunted houses. We have those for escape rooms. We have those for food and drink festivals. We have a whole brand for semi-pro and minor league sports, which is actually our fastest growing segment uh, there. We have hundreds and hundreds of minor league sports teams that we work with between soccer and basketball and baseball and a little bit of football, not as much there. A hockey team. We just recently got our first hockey team there. Uh, so we do a lot of that stuff as well. But yeah, that's what you'd want to use. And you can actually use your existing account. So if you want to do stuff the rest of the year, um, you can use your existing HauntPay account to log in right now at gopassage.com. 
or you can create a new one if you want to keep them segregated. And, and even if you do create a new one, you could like share the data from one with the other one. You could set yourself up as an employee of each one. So, so they each have access to the other data, no matter which one you're logging into. And we can definitely help with that. You know, just get a hold of us at any time. Um, you know, you know, we're at the, on the phone, on email, on chat. Our guys are there from 9 a.m. to midnight every day of the week, including Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays. So we'd love to help you out with that. Uh, I, I, didn't I know notice. you guys do have great support, so I will be hit, uh, hitting you guys up for that. Thank you. Uh, I did notice at IAPA, I, I took a it took me a while to find you because I was looking for haunt pay, and I and there there finally this little teeny tiny haunt pay poster under the Go Passage banner there. So yeah, you uh. You know, Different that's audience. a perfect place for everything else. So yeah. um, getting back to the report a little bit, that, that kind of mm-hmm. touches on something I was going to ask you. Um, how many of the haunted attraction owners are actually running escape rooms, axe throwing, zombie shoots and things like that? How how were those incorporated into the survey or were they? Oh, absolutely. That is one of the things that we uh, incorporated right off the top, you know, um, is is what they're doing both on their attractions and when they're open there. So I think those kind of go together, too, because they help you expand, just like John was mentioning. They help you expand the rest of the year, the more and more different things that you're you're able to do at your attraction there. Um, so, you know, uh, the, the number of people like most of our attractions were doing indoor walkthroughs that was a very popular one outdoor walkthroughs was of course second most popular but then it was really close between escape games and they were in this order escape games haunted hayride and corn maze those were all like in that 40 to 50 percent of haunted attractions were doing those so 40 to 50 percent of haunted attractions are adding in these like micro experiences with the corn mazes with the hayrides with the escape games not that micro right but like it's just it's not it's secondary you know experiences for them um midway games wasn't far away that was about 30 35 percent uh there it looks like 33 percent uh zombie paintball was all about 30 percent and then uh, even a significant amount, like 15% of the uh, attractions that we surveyed here had live entertainment uh, that they had that would come in and, and put on shows, whether it's concerts or magicians or other things that are going on there. And I think all of this, you know, uh, experience like spreading out is one, adding to more uh, revenue, uh, more revenue per customer. We saw that across the board. Customers were spending more money at their haunts every year. Uh, in some cases, significantly more money. Across the board, it was about 6%, but this varied and was actually up quite a bit higher with some attractions. So this year, customers were going to fewer attractions, but they were spending more money at each attraction. So so these things, you know, they wanted bigger experiences. They wanted to experience all this cool stuff. And people having these available for those clients, those fans, um, you know, uh, was, was earning them greater revenue, you know, per customer that was coming through there. And I think the other interesting thing from this to me, at least is that, uh, haunts are open longer now. Um, so about 36% of haunt owners still said that they're only open during the season. This makes sense. A lot of haunts are pretty small. They're just going to do that, you know, maybe late September, but basically just October, you know, timeframe. But 36% isn't actually that big. That's only open during that part. So uh, Krampus and holiday events, they were the most uh, popular secondary stuff. So so this time of year, right, um, 16% uh, of haunt owners are now doing this. And you can go on hauntpay.com 
and you can see we have like something like 75 um uh, christmas font and krampus type events that are listed up there right now which is really cool i love seeing that stuff i can't wait to go to a few of them here uh, so 16% of Han owners said that they were doing that. 15% said that they were doing Friday the 13th that they were opening up for. Another 11% said that they were doing year-round stuff. And this doesn't mean that they're literally open 365 days, but that they were doing you know little uh, holidays throughout the year that they were opening up halfway to Halloween, maybe a zombie prom. You know, maybe uh, uh, Valentine's Day, Bloody Valentine, stuff like that, you know, on their way. We even had some scary Fourth of July stuff this year. Uh, that's one that's uh, that's a newer one, but we had a few events around then. So it's amazing what people are opening for and, and finding excuses to get in the haunting spirit. And I'll tell you, they're actually selling tickets. That's the best part of that. They're not just opening. They are selling tickets, too. So it becomes something that they can do to expand the revenue season. Was there, you know, you talked about a lot of the um, expectations were met from haunt owners and things who took the survey in yeah. March, April, May, June. Um, were there anything very surprising with the data, maybe expectations that were not met or that like super exceeded what people expected? Yeah, you know, you know the, the biggest bummer that I would say here uh, is that People were really enthusiastic. Haunt owners were really optimistic and enthusiastic coming out of 21, 20, 21, 22. You know, I realized a lot of people were closed in 2020, but those that were open generally did pretty well, actually. And 2021, especially, it boomed up, right? We were out of lockdown and whatever, you know, whatever happened to be going on in the area, people were back out spending money. 22 was nearly the same as 21. Like it was, it was still way up. And I think people were really saying, oh man, this is going to be our biggest year ever in 23. And it just wasn't. So, so when we did the survey, we were looking at 60% in 2022 here, 60% of haunts had an attendance of 5,000 guests or less. This makes sense. A lot of people are smaller haunts, nonprofit haunts, um, you know, that, that sort of thing that are doing smaller numbers of guests. And that's okay. That's what drives the industry. The number of small haunts is what drives the industry there. That's what I love about haunting. It doesn't have to be in a big city. It can be in that little rural town, right? Like it's something that that gets out to all of Americans. Every American, I feel like, has an opportunity uh, to go to a haunted attraction. So about 60% were 5,000 or less. But in 23 55% of haunt owners expected to see more than 5,000 guests come through their doors. So they anticipated going up to the next uh, set that we had on there, which was 5,000 to 10,000 guests at your attraction there. Um, and, and that's awesome that they were all expecting those numbers to rise. And I think for a lot of them, it did. You know, I'm, I'm looking at the numbers of people that were up, you know, uh, over the year here. And I was just sorting these out. And there were a lot of haunts that were significantly up, you know, from year to year that were uh, over year to year with us. So looking at the total numbers, it was something like count. It was, it was something like two thirds of our haunted attractions. Their numbers were actually up last year or this year, which was great. Two thirds of the haunted attractions that we had their online sales numbers or their numbers through haunt pay all sales, but people generally use this for online sales were up, but that other third were down and a lot of them were way down, which was unfortunate. And across the board, as I mentioned early on, it was almost even with last year. The haunts that we had last year that were still around, that were on our platform doing it again this year, they were almost even. They were, they were about break even. They weren't up those huge numbers that they thought they would be. And that was a little bit of a bummer seeing, but 
you know what? I, I don't think it was a big dip, you know, for most people. So I don't think it's going to hurt anybody that badly. I think a lot of people anecdotally that I was talking to were spending more money on marketing this year. So that's probably going to hurt. You know, that's one thing we didn't have in our survey. How much money are you going to spend on marketing this year? We had some marketing based questions around social media and that sort of thing, but not really ad spend. Um, so I think, you know, that was probably a little bit more expensive to get people through the door, but. You know, that's kind of the, the basic rundown there on the biggest myths, I would say, that our surveyors, you know, had coming into this year. Yeah. What about ticket uh, prices in general? Yeah, I mean, ticket prices in general were up. Um, so they were up about 6% overall uh, that we saw there. Uh, six and a half, something like that, I think, was, was the total number. Um, and that's good. I and, and, you know, one of the things that comes off of this is it's still incredibly affordable. So a family of four can, you know, visit for around 80 bucks on average. Still the average haunt price is around $20. When we did in, uh, did our total here, what it was page 12 on this, uh, for anybody again, following along at home. Oh no, I'm a little off on one of the pages there. Um, I don't have the exact number. Oh, there's the exact numbers there. Most people were between 11 and $20 for their haunt admission. 42.7% of haunts were around there. Another 15.6% were $10 or less. So really small guys. And then, you know, uh, so what's that in total? That's like 57, 58% there. The rest were above $20, you know, were more expensive and some even as high as $50 plus for their general admission. And that's okay. You know, that happens. Uh, and I think that's appropriate in some areas, but general haunting is very, you know, affordable family fun, right? Like where else are you going to go? The movies maybe, but like, you're not going to go to an MLB game for these kind of dollar amounts and that sort of thing. It's a very affordable, you know, way to, to take your, your family out. Yeah. Does any consideration for say weather factor in for a lot of this because i know that the you know yeah. the carolinas we were great we had like one maybe one friday where it was like drizzly at least where i was but i heard that places in the midwest got a lot of rain on weekends and things and if you're mm. not a 100 indoor haunt i i suspect that really does affect a lot of those numbers yeah almost uh so refunds Due to that sort of thing, which is what we see, cancellations and refunds were up almost 20%. It was like 19 point something percent there that they were up this year wow. uh, versus 2022, which blew me away. Because like in 2022, I think we had one or two, you know, large hurricanes that came through. They shut down everything, right, when they hit. And we just didn't have that. That was something, go look the, up the news. There were bar was barely anything that was actually hitting the U.S. Um, there were a lot of scares, right? But once it hit the U.S., it was very, very, you know small comparatively to years past but it was just rainy uh, it was just rainy in the midwest so we actually did see more cancellations more refunds than years past and i think that hit folks hard i think that was probably the biggest reason they didn't hit their goals this year that and, and you know you you see worries about recessions and stuff like that so i think that hits people a little bit what you know whatever your take on that is it doesn't matter it was being talked about in the news, right? So I think it's in the back of people's minds a little bit that, hey, the economy might not be as great as it once was or something like that. And so maybe some people were saving, holding on to their cash a little bit more than years past. Um, but I don't think it was a major difference. I think the weather played a bigger difference, just like you're saying there, Drew. That makes a lot of sense there. What is your formula for coming up with your ticket price? Oh, 
That's a good question. I think you got to look at everybody else around you. And usually that's where we start when we're talking about um, uh, talking to haunted attractions that are asking us what they should charge. And and this is the common question that we get. We try to help them, but ultimately, like, you know, your clients better than we do. We know haunt setups on our system, you know, probably better than you do, right? Like, so we can help you set up your ticket sales. So it's going to flow through really well. And we can optimize that. We can give you some tips on getting people through the door quickly. We can, you know, <laughs> Johnny, you mentioned frustration with buying, you know, some tickets to somebody that it wasn't broken down by dates, right? Like we would probably be suggesting uh-huh. you sell by the date you want to come in. So people understand the date that they're buying for things like that. We know that set up really well. What we don't know is your next door neighbor. You know, your next door neighbor, and we can never know your next door neighbor as well as you do. And what I mean by that is the haunt down the road, but not necessarily just the haunt. Let's say you're the only haunt around and you're trying to figure out what to sell. Look up other family entertainment in your area. There's something out there. There's got to be something. And if there's not, you're in the best area in the U.S. and and you should hide that and keep it all to yourself and and build you know crazy big attractions there, right? And just milk that. But there's a good chance there's you know whether it's a community theater, you know that might be a comparison point. Um, uh, it could be it could be a family entertainment center. It could be axe throwing. It could be escape rooms. It could be stuff people do the rest of the year. It could be you know a minor league sports team stuff like that. That could be down the road and start looking at those prices and seeing where they come in, you know, as compared to other prices, see what their prices are, try to come in around that range, but also see if that's above or below, you know, the other areas in the U.S. And, and you know, also you can then compare that to other haunts and say, we're going to try to come in above and below. I think a great starting point is that $20 mark, man. That's about what the average is right now with haunted houses. And I know there's a lot of rural haunted houses feeding into that. And that might not be realistic in a metro area or something like that. But um, that's a great starting point uh, just to think about. And then, yeah, start comparing to other local attractions from there. You used to always hear there was like like a, a, a ratio of, of dollar times number of minutes your attraction number was minutes. or something like that. I think there's a lot more quality involved in that. I mean, that's fine if you want to do, you know, 50 cents per per minute or a dollar a minute or something like that. I've seen, I've heard people talk about both. Usually it's closer to 50 cents in rural areas. It's closer to a dollar when you're downtown Chicago or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. But I think there's a bigger quality difference. You know, um, you don't you don't take your memories away purely by an amount of time you, you're, you spend there. You take your memories away based on unique experiences uh, that you're having a good time and you're seeing something that you've never seen before. And that's where the real value comes in. The number of number of memories you take with you uh, afterwards there. So that's my thought at least. So I, I think uh, a little bit of comparison for benchmarking you could do, you could try some of that time stuff. Uh, but really if you're showing value beyond what people are showing elsewhere, don't be afraid to raise your tickets. It's probably okay to raise them a little bit. Don't go hog wild. Don't go crazy with that or else you will see a dent. But I'd say more of our haunted attractions are under, you know, uh, priced than overpriced with what we see. So, Alex, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to sales tax, okay, is that something you incorporate into the ticket price or can incorporate into the ticket price? Yeah, so we can calculate it separately from the ticket price. So there's a number of theories on that. So we have attractions that just roll it all together and say, this is the price inclusive of sales tax. And that's okay if you say it up front, right? Um, And maybe you break it down in the fine print there. But what we 
prefer and I think is going to be easier to keep track of when you're paying the government at the end of the year uh, is going to have it be a separate line item. And we fully support that. Uh, we even have support having separate taxes depending on the item being sold because you can use Haunt Pay to sell concessions, to sell merchandise, uh, to sell parking passes, wh- whatever you want, really. And uh, and and sometimes those things are different. So in Michigan, for instance, there's no sales tax on an event ticket, but there is sales tax on merchandise that you purchase at that event. Uh, no sales tax on food, but there is on the merchandise. So you know we can let you set up that product with its own sales tax that's a separate amount from what the ticket price is and that sort of thing. And yeah, our system will tell you at the end of the day what those tax numbers are so that you can remit that to the government. We don't do it for you. You know, we're not remitting it for you. You still get it deposited to your account, but our system will tell you what that sales tax is so you can send it on through. And if are you choose any- not to do so, you know, that's between you and the government. It has nothing to do with us. If you if you choose not to report your cash sales, you know, that's between you and the government. <laughs> Speaking of cash, do you think the trend is going to be basically going cashless? Are there any haunts that you're aware of that right now are 100% cashless? We only take debit. We only take credit cards. And I see that happening in so many other other areas. Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering if the trend is within 10 years, there won't be anybody really taking cash unless you're one of the small, rural, you know, Farmer Bob, scary haunted trail type things. Is that a trend that you're seeing? Yeah. Yeah. There's more sales moving online every day, especially because it lets you incorporate, uh, you know, a lot of this other stuff that we've been talking about, the the queueless entries, the the upsells for merchandise, for concessions. As I mentioned, people that are buying online, uh, which is definitely with credit cards, right? If they're buying online, they're spending 61% more last year than they did, um, you know, when they were spending buying at the door. So it gives you the opportunity to generate more revenue. So one, you know, that, that whole thing of like, I don't want to give up my two and a half percent or whatever for payment processing. That doesn't work out. The math doesn't work out. You're, you're, you're nickel and diamond over two and a half percent and you couldn't be getting that 61% addition. Okay. So the math just doesn't work out there. Use credit cards, you know, sell, sell stuff online too. You're missing out if you're not doing it, but uh, you know, on that side, more and more stuff is moving every year online and people are spending more and more. I think it's, you know, they, they're not waiting in line. They don't see those dollars disappearing. You can only carry so many ca- so much cash and people do only carry so much cash. If I looked in my wallet, I bet it's less than 20 bucks that I got on me right now. And, you know, I might have planned. You know, a lot of times people put the cash in their wallet to go to an attraction. So like, hey, I've got four people going. It's 20 bucks a ticket. I'm bringing 80 bucks. But that means... You can't upsell them to that merch or that photo at the end of the experience when they were so psyched about it. They they don't have any way of buying that from you. No, so I use those credit card always, sales. There's still always going to be some kids who mom or dad hands them twenty bucks or thirty bucks, Probably. and you know that's what they've got to use. You know. Yeah, I don't suggest eliminating it. I just think. In general, it's going to be easier, you know, uh, to accept, you know, you've got Apple Wallet now, right? Like you just tap your phone to stuff. You don't even have to use cards to use cards anymore, uh, which is is great. I mean, that's that makes it so easy. It's just so dang easy there. Uh, I think that's why the trend is moving in that direction. I don't think it'll totally disappear, but we definitely know, Drew, the first question you had, uh, do we know of some haunts? Yeah, we know of several haunts. Uh I, I can't actually name them right off. I, I'm sure we could look through and find some, but we know quite a few that we're doing, you know, card only this year. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the local theme park near me, 
they are 100% cashless now. Uh-huh. So uh, you can buy little prepaid cards if all you brought was cash, you know, stick your money in, they'll give you a card for that, whatever. Yep. But uh, yeah, they they actually eliminated the entire night auditing division, yeah. of which I had a relative working in that division, and they eliminated that uh-huh. position, that entire department, because everybody went cashless. So you know they're not counting the bills and the coins anymore, and and I just see sure. that as a a trend for the big boys, so to speak. And you know, like like Jonna said, there's always going to be room for cash somewhere. Yeah, hopefully, I think you're right. So we'll just have to see. Any other questions from the host? I know that uh. We do have a little bit of a scheduling thing, so we do need to start winding it down. I definitely wanted to ask about um, some of the things in the survey with promotions and yeah. uh, what haunts are using to promote their haunts. That was some uh, interesting numbers you're showing there. Yeah, definitely. So I think we're seeing a lot on the side of social media. Um, that is still the biggest one. Uh, we're seeing a combination of organic social media, 67.3% of the uh, surveys are saying that they're using organic social media. They're posting on social media, uh, but also paid social ads, 61.1% are out there. And of course, word of mouth is also, that's the next biggest on our list at 51%. I think everybody says that we're getting word of mouth. Some are, some aren't right. Like some are getting negative word of mouth. You know, there's two forms of word of mouth, unfortunately. Uh, But uh, social media is the biggest. We still see people doing online ads. We still see people doing billboards, uh, magazines, newspapers, all that sort of thing. But social media is by far the biggest. And it's getting weird uh, what's going on in social media. I'm feeling like I'm aging very, very quickly in the social media generation. I don't know about you guys, but all of a sudden, uh, like 45% of haunts are on TikTok now. That's nuts. Uh, I, you know, I, the, the last time I logged on to TikTok was, was, you know, barely ever, you know, I, I just don't use it that much, but that is the, the social network of choice here, you know, the upcoming social network of choice. But of course the big one is still Facebook. Um, 73% of haunts say they're, they're on, uh, Facebook. Um, Instagram is still very large as well, but TikTok is the quickest riser right now. So if you're looking for the biggest bang for your buck and upcoming promotions, I'd say the trends are saying that it's it's going to be there if we're getting that organic spend or organic, you know, uh, growth there. And then, yeah, if you're doing paid social media advertising, it still seems to be the Instagram, the Facebook. Those are, of course, both part of Meta now or whatever you want to call it that Facebook changed their name to. But that's where people are doing most of their social media ad spend right now. Well, something that jumped out to me on your uh, information uh, from 2022 is the bubble. That's not there. Uh, Terrestrial radio. Why isn't it there? That's a good point. I don't know if we just didn't have that on there or I I don't know. I can't remember if we just didn't have that. There wasn't enough answers for it, but I mean, you know, the the fact that, uh, you know, word of mouth is beating, you know, 10 years ago, radio ads would be a huge bubble on that. But to, to have it that it's non-existent in your results is is amazing. I bet, you know, just looking at this based on that, I agree with you. I I, I kind of wonder if we just didn't have that as an option on your storm. And in which case, I'm, I'm you know, obviously you guys would be biased to say we absolutely should have that on there. So that's one I'm going to go check back. And and uh, I know I can't report back to you on this episode, but I will. Yeah, but even then, you, you still got other. Yeah. yeah, we do have other that's like 8.1%. But you'd think 
if we didn't have radio, people are thinking about it in there. And that's not even that big, right? Yeah, yeah. How many people under the age of 25 are listening to terrestrial radio versus Spotify and iTunes and streaming stuff? Well, that's the thing. I don't don't think it's just limited to to age, though. I think it has to do with, you know, area and and what you're doing. I, I think, you know, rural areas... You know, are were they still listening to radio? Are cities still listening to radio? Sure. People uh, commuting and driving, as opposed to you know, if they're taking the bus to school every day. But you no. know, stuff like Spotify and online radio, uh, you know, has that completely replaced terrestrial radio as an advertising outlet for haunts? That's interesting. Yeah, I kind of wonder that myself. My kids are late teens, early 20s, and they do not listen to the radio. All they have is their little streaming, whatever, you know, signed up for, I guess, Spotify or whatever. That's all. That's where they listen to music, that and YouTube. Yeah. To be so honest, it's, it's I, the only reason I still listen to the radio in the car is because my vehicle is old enough to drink and doesn't have access <laughs> to, you know, the... You well, know, but... I can't use Spotify and things like that in, in my, you know... 23-year-old Tahoe. We yeah. need any money on, on radio. We're definitely going to get Dick Terhune to talk about advertising and, and things in, in this day and age in the next few shows, so oh, yeah. be He's sure to keep listening for that. Head. He will. Uh, I said that. He will certainly tell it like it is, but um, <laughs> um, any final questions from the host because we are starting to, or we need to start winding this down because of scheduling. I was going to say a a good one to close out to might be uh, the last panel in the uh, uh, survey uh, asking um, the owners and operators uh, what they see as their biggest challenge. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, so um, this year, you know, you can zero in on that. We saw challenges in staffing. And, and, you know, this was a tough year. Uh, This was a tough year for getting people, uh, you know, to take temp jobs, to take a lower paid job just to find people that, that weren't involved that, that, that were uh, up for that. So staffing was a huge one. The other big one was just a lack of foot traffic. Um, and then also promoting, you know, promotions, promoting their haunts, you know, those, those were two big issues that we saw there uh, with overhead cost. you know, kind of, kind of coming in uh, a little bit later on that overhead costs uh, are certainly going up. We're seeing that in a lot of cases. You could call it inflation or whatever you want, but there's just, you know, lumber even costs more than it used to, right? You know, things like that. Uh, so I, th- I think that stuff, you know, uh, is, is all going up and promotions are getting tougher. There's a lot of noise out there on the internet, just period. You know, you guys see this, uh, everybody that's on the internet sees more and more ads everywhere you go every day. So I think it's getting tougher to, uh, to get through the noise. But if you got a good product, you got a good haunt, you're going to make it happen. Uh, so that's all I can say, you know, focus on those details that make you original and, and show that value to people. And, and you'll still figure out ways to, to get through the noise, break through. So after the first of the year, I'm assuming that you will start compiling a new survey that you'll probably put out in mm. February, March, somewhere in that area. Are there any places or are you taking suggestions from haunt owners if one would like to know this certain thing or, you know, I'd like to know what other people around the country think of this idea. Do you take those suggestions or do you already have the survey pretty much filled out, ready to go for next year? 
Yeah, I mean, we we obviously like to hit a lot of the same things so we can compare them year to year, but also we want to expand it, but within reason, right? Uh, we can't just, uh, unfortunately, what we found is that people don't just want to take a survey all day. They don't want to spend all their time there for a chance at getting a $50 gift card. Like It just, uh, it doesn't work out like that. So we do have to keep it limited. Um, we might have to cut some things, you know, to fit other things in, but we're all about that. This is for haunt owners. We want this to be valuable for haunt owners, for haunters that are out there. So if you have any suggestions, shoot them my way. I'm Alex at hauntpay.com. Really easy to remember there and shoot me an email. Um, You can obviously hit us up on social media, on Twitter. We're at hauntpay, uh, you know, Facebook, you know, Instagram, all those. You can hit us on social media too, but just Alex at hauntpay.com. And I'll make sure it gets in the hands of our survey team here and we'll get it in the next one. We'll try to, at least if it's uh, something that a lot of people want to see. Yeah. Well, Alex, it's always a delight to have you on the show. You know, folks, this is a very easily accessible report. It is on the HauntPay website. It's free to download. I'm assuming just PDF, and you can just go and view it, download it, read it, learn all about the trends, see what happened, what didn't happen. And I'm assuming you will do this for year after year in perpetuity at this point, because it is, it is quite a valuable and very interesting resource. So for people wanting to get a copy of that, they want more information, maybe they're interested, maybe they're one of that minority now that are not looking at online ticketing, and now maybe they are, how can they get a hold of you? You just mentioned a few of the sites, but the best way to get information on this, get a copy of the report and everything else. Yeah, I mean, the report, go to hauntpay.com. You're going to find a banner right there near the top that just says, click here to download the Haunt Industry Report. So go grab it. Um, It's pretty easy to find on the website there. Uh, But yeah, as far as following our stuff, we try to give helpful tips and information that we collect year round. It doesn't necessarily just have to be in this report. And we have tons of other cool guides and downloads that might be valuable. So so hit us up at hauntpay.com. Hit the blog that's there. We post a lot of that stuff on the blog. Follow us on social media. We're at hauntpay basically everywhere, except TikTok. I guess we need to get on TikTok. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm Alex Linebrink. So you can you can hit me, Alex at hauntpay.com or find me on social media at Alex Linebrink. It's L-I-N-E-B-R-I-N-K is the last name. So uh yeah, hit me up. I, I love conversing, you know, uh, privately or publicly. I don't care. Either one works there. <laughs> well, Alex, again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your no doubt busy schedule to come speak with us here on the Roundtable of Terror, sponsored by your very fine company. And, of course, we'll be hitting you up at Transworld to renew that at some point. So, hopefully, <laughs> we'll, we'll be able to get that. And, and maybe, even get a new, maybe even get a new commercial out of it. We've been running this one for a while. So, Love it. a <laughs> lot, of, lot of changes have happened. But we'd also like to thank our great co-hosts for their questions, including Storm. Yeah, you got to love all the charts and graphs. You, you, you can't get enough of those. That's, that's what I love about the survey and this report each time, and especially the little nuances, the spiders crawling on certain things and stuff. So it's it's informative and festive. also like to thank Meat Hook Jim. Uh, referring to um, the cashless society, you're still going to have to bring cash to the Amish haunt that Storm wants. <laughs> that is, I love that it. That is true. Jonna, the old crone. Well, I wish I had something witty to say, but I don't. Sorry. My name is Drew Badger, and I am still waiting for that elusive Arbor Day haunt. 
and hopefully HauntPay will be the one doing the ticketing for that. This is the Roundtable of Terror here on The Big Scary Show. Forget cash. My Amish haunt, I'm accepting coats, raw uh, wool, and uh, butter. I think it's going to be a blackout night every night, though, isn't it? (laughs) You get a a candle to light your way. A lantern or a candle. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. I'm making fun of them. I'll never hear this. (laughs) Boom. This is Cody from Hush Haunted Attraction in Westland, Michigan, and you are listening to The Big Scary Show. Greetings, listeners, listeners, and welcome. welcome. Watch out. Don't trip over that torso. torso. It's time time for Between between the the corpses. Corpses. Greetings, listeners. Meat Hook Jim here. And as we continue our journey down the road of tortures and execution, we are now in the 20th century and we've come up to the gas chamber. While prisoners in the gas chamber are rendered unconscious within seconds, it can take up to 18 minutes for the body to give up its fight for life. Despite modifications, the gas chamber has few supporters. The suffering endured by pigs in the first prototype gas chamber appalled journalists. Unlike electrocution, gas does not paralyze, so the agonized writhings of the victims are disturbingly apparent. Nevertheless, Nevada opted the gas chamber as a means of execution in 1921. Three years later, John G. was the first man to die in it. It was first used in North Carolina in 1936 when a local reporter, a veteran of some 156 electrocutions, told how he witnessed awful butchery. Its opponents were largely ignored. By 1973, 13 states had adopted the gas chamber. Its design and operation have been improved. The steel chamber is furnished with a single chair. In North Carolina, It is the state's old electric chair. Straps keep the limbs in place and the condemned wears a mask with a nose hole. From outside the hermetically sealed chamber, warders operate a mechanism that mixes hydrochloric acid and potassium cyanide 
in a pan within, forming the fatal hydrocyanide gas. They have the security of knowing that cyanide detectors sound an alarm if the gas leaks. For a fleeting moment, the prisoner may see the fumes before he feels its effects following inhalation. Double-pane glass allows those in the witness chamber to see the prisoner's death throes. There are even breakers of sulfuric acid between the two panes to prevent condensation. Death occurs quickly for the prisoner who breathes normally. Those who hold their breath by way of natural response to the gas suffer a more lingering demise. A heart monitor attached to the condemned reveals when his life ends. The deadly gas is cleared with carbon filters or ammonia before prison warders enter the room. Even so, the first to enter some 30 minutes after executions wear a gas mask. They contaminate the body with bleach to prevent harm coming to anyone who touches it, specifically the undertaker. Gas chambers have become increasingly unpopular. In California, for example, gas was outlawed as unconstitutional in 1994. While technically remaining an option in six American states, it is likely to be used in just two. Among those killed in the gas chambers were Barbara Graham, whose execution in 1955 was halted twice in the same day, once at the chamber door. Carol Chessman, the red light bandit, who preyed on women in Hollywood, was convicted in 1948. Chessman was a reformed character by the time of his death in San Quentin, 1960. He had become a student of philosophy and law in a bid to save his life and wrote several books. He saw himself fighting a dogged and seemingly endless battle for survival of watching nearly five dozen men take that fast grim walk past my cell. It was an incredible nightmarish experience. Chessman's nightmare was not over. Moments after the deadly gas was released, a phone call confirmed another stay of execution. The wardens thought it too late to save him, and the execution continued as planned. Chessman died, although the judiciary thought he should live. He was both defeated and triumphant. Wow. Okay. So there's some things about the gas chamber I didn't know. Hope you learned something. We'll catch you on the next show. Bye. The following announcement is a special bulletin direct from American International. It may be too late. Our planet may be doomed. Armies have been alerted. The hotlines are in constant use. Civilization is in chaos. The monsters are in revolt. Now a direct report. This is Jay Webb in New York. Godzilla is laying waste to the city. The citizens have never known such fear. At the same time, Rodan is attacking Moscow. The city is alert for military action. In London, Manda is spreading horror in its path. And in the Far East, Peking trembles under the wrath of Mothra. We must destroy all monsters. Yes, destroy all monsters, or our civilization will be destroyed. Destroy all monsters is a motion picture. See for yourself. It really could happen. Destroy All Monsters in Color from American International is rated G for general audiences. Midnight Syndicate. God rest ye merry gentlemen. In the Big Scary Show.
Hey, this is James. And this is Chelsea from Dead Meat on YouTube. And the Dead Meat Podcast. And you're listening to the Big Scary Show. Ohio Haunted House owners, actors, and enthusiasts, join the new Ohio Haunters Association. We are working with haunters across the state, from home to pro, to strengthen the Ohio haunt community. Open to all owners, actors, makeup artists, prop builders, designers, and Halloween paranormal enthusiasts. The Ohio Haunters Association, where haunting is the heart of it all. Look for us on Facebook. <laughs> it's time for Ask the Old Crone. <laughs> The calendar year of 2023 is coming to a close. For me, it has definitely been a mixed bag of tricks and treats. And I'm probably glad that it's about over. But before that calendar flips over, we've got to make sure we take care of some administrative things. First off, if you're making any charitable donations, make sure you get them done before December 31st. Not only is it the time of giving, but you want to make sure you get those in for tax purposes as well. Another thing is January is knocking on the door. And what has to be done during the month of January? You've got to get out those W-2s and 1099s. So if you do your own paperwork for your employees, go ahead and get that paperwork ordered. That way you're ready to get them all printed out and sent out by the December 31st deadline. Now, another thing that's good to do is make sure you've got all your receipts and everything gathered because <laughs> April 15th will be here before we know it. So start getting prepared for that. And you know, it's never too early to start planning for next year. 2024 is knocking on our door and we're all hoping that it's going to be better than ever. Now, on a personal note, I definitely want to wish all of the listeners a very happy holiday season. Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, Season's Greetings, whatever you want to hear, my good vibes are coming out to you. And I wish all of you the very best. So until next time, don't forget to stir the cauldron. Enter the haunted world of Fright Find and discover an environment dedicated to promoting your haunt. Target customers who will influence others on attending haunt attractions as Fright Find brings in scream seekers looking for haunted places, events, and accommodations of every sort. Various exposure options give you the ability to reach your audience throughout the year. Don't be afraid. Go to FrightFind.com now to add your haunt for free and see for yourself the difference Fright Find will make in your haunt listing.
And greetings, dear Frighteners, and welcome to a special Christmas edition of the Weister's Haunted Vista. I know, I know, I keep saying I won't show up for a while, and look, here we go yet again. Ow! Why would you do that? And the reason and subject matter for my grand return on this episode is, of course, none other than Godzilla Fest. <laughs> Well, obviously, there's no such thing as a Godzilla Fest right now. I'm, of course, talking about the wealth of information and new material that's been released regarding the Big G, and we're going to be taking a close look, first off, at the new theatrical Japanese release, Godzilla Minus One. We're going to take a little peek into Monarch Legacy of Monsters, which is available on Apple TV, and I'm also going to be discussing some of the controversy on the newly released Godzilla X Kong The New Empire trailer. But first things first. With the continuing success of Legendary's Godzilla and Kong films, it was only a matter of time until Toho threw their head back in the ring and produced yet another Godzilla film. I mean, when the 2014 film was released, Toho jumped right on that bagwagon lickety-split with Shin Godzilla, which is a remarkable piece of work. And that brings us to Godzilla Minus One. Released on November 3rd in Japan and December 1st here in the United States, this is part of the 70th anniversary celebrations of Godzilla's first film. Technically speaking, this year it's the 69th, but work with me here. And it does not disappoint. Rather than try to come up with yet another iteration on the Godzilla character this time around, witness last year's anime Godzilla Singular Point for a really interesting twist on the creature, Toho went back to their roots. Godzilla Minus One is essentially a retelling of his origins set in post-war Japan around late 1945 after the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings. This is more of a human interest story, though Godzilla's presence is felt from the first few moments of the film throughout the entire picture. The basic plot follows around a young failed kamikaze pilot's landing on Odo Island in an attempt to escape doing his duty and a quick encounter he has with a pre-irradiated Godzilla and the fallout he receives and has to deal with when he returns to war-torn Japan and encounters a young lady with an orphaned newborn in her care. Essentially, the film follows their story and intertwines it with Godzilla, who becomes a more and more prevalent menace after American nuclear testing in the Bikini Atoll irradiates an already irritable creature. After a series of mishaps at sea and investigations, Godzilla eventually does come ashore and wreaks havoc as is his wont. This is the nastiest, most vicious version of the creature that has been put on screen in a very long time, an amalgamation of several different classic looks with an attitude to boot. 
it has been remarked this is one of the best ever Godzilla films, and I won't fight that too hard. This is a different flavor of film, and it is definitely a more adult in its nature. This isn't the chaos of the legendary flicks that run like the Marvel and DC universe. This is an intelligent, thought-provoking film with themes of anti-war, anti-government, and the spirit of the Japanese people. A remarkable piece of work. I find it highly amusing and telling, not to mention comforting, that this film is doing such big numbers at the box office comforting in as much as the series will continue at least in japan stateside remains to be seen but this film is just doing huge numbers they even expanded its theatrical release another week and it ended up like number two or number three at the box office a couple weeks in a row i don't really know do i recommend this one for kids okay First of all, I'm very well aware that children are much more blasé to violence due to the internet and the increasingly nasty content in films in general these days. However, this is a much more human interest film, and as I said, the characters really get put through their paces in terms of the plot development, so if your child is sensitive, think twice. It's a very raw, emotional film. Be aware also that Godzilla's violence is much more realistic in this film, as is his characterization in terms of his animalistic behaviors. People die as a result of his actions, and it's shown in several different sequences. And there is a poignant moment after he unleashes his atomic breath with him silhouetted next to a mushroom cloud of his own making. This may affect the more sensitive in the audience, so buyer beware. Aside from that, though, this is truly one of the most remarkable achievements in Toho's Godzilla canon, one of the jewels in their crown among the original and Shin Godzilla and a few others. Be aware, this is not a slam-bang film. This requires some thinking, some patience, and it will touch your heart. That, my friends, in and of itself is brilliant filmmaking. The announcement last year of a Godzilla-based television series set me into echoplasms of delight when I first heard about it. When they announced also that Kurt Russell would be featuring in the series, I was equally overjoyed. As of this recording, on December 9th, 2023, Monarch Legacy of Monsters is about halfway through its 10-episode run. They just unleashed episode 5 a couple of days ago. And what do I think at this point? Well, I have to be fair. As of this recording, I'm only two episodes in. The big thing I've seen on the internet is the fact that it's very monster light. And let's face it, folks, this is a television series. It's not a big theatrical production. They only have so much money to go around, and that is definitely going to constrain the monster action in a big way. Now, as for the characters and the plot, it's interesting. This is a very much a subterfuge, government scandal kind of storyline with a set of characters 
from the 1950s brought forward to a younger generation shortly after Godzilla's initial attack in San Francisco around 2014. This is the show Saving Grace, the characters themselves, who are quite fascinating and they, they draw you in and make you care. Because, as I said earlier, there's a minimal amount of monster action here. Godzilla's on the screen for like a minute so far. From what I understand, his appearances will get bigger as the show progresses. But still, this is more about the people and what they discover in regards to Monarch and all the deep, dark secrets. It's also been said this will have ties to the next legendary Monsterverse flick, which I'll get to here in a few moments. Would I recommend Monarch Legacy of Monsters? Yeah, it's smart sharply written, witty, funny, has a lot of good action from what I've seen so far, and I quite frankly suspect as we go along we'll get more and more Godzilla bang for our buck as we go to the conclusion of the series. For now, enjoy the ride. Very entertaining. of human civilization. We believed that life could only exist on the surface of our planet. What else were we wrong about? And now to the third and final part of this episode, the Godzilla X Kong The New Empire trailer. Now, I haven't seen a trailer cause this much controversy in I don't know how long, the focus of it being on Godzilla's altered appearance for this film. He has, get this, hot pig dorsal fins. Something which, well granted, it's just a color. It's very off-putting to the character. Look at some of the screen captures, go check out the video for yourself. The trailer's all over the place at this point, and it really set the fan base up in arms. I personally don't care for it myself, but I'm going to wait until the film shows up. But there's all kinds of screaming about political affiliations with Godzilla and all kinds of other things. Go look them up for yourself. I'm not going to repeat them here. There are other elements to this trailer, obviously, aside from the big G getting run over by a Max Factor truck. <laughs> but I will say this. Some of the rumors seem to be true. The Son of Kong does feature in this. There's quite a few location shots. The main adversary is something called Scar King, a gigantic orangutan-type monster. And there are bits and pieces hinted at and peppered throughout the trailer. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to wait until the film shows up. Yes, I find those pink fins and Godzilla's appearance, which is designed to look like his 2000 Millennium Series look. They didn't do as great a job as they could have, and I've seen shots comparing this incarnation with the 2014 film, and the realism has uh, dropped quite a bit, people. And I have big issues with that last scene in the trailer with Kong and Godzilla sprinting together like something out of Avengers Endgame. Uh -uh. I'm going to blow chunks. The film premieres on April 24th, and I'll reserve judgment until then. But from what I'm seeing in that trailer, they've definitely been paying attention to the Marvel Universe a little too closely. It's got a lot of Avengers flashes in it. But, again, let's wait and see. Some of it looks quite promising, and the scenarios they're developing here are going to have long-reaching implications into Legendary's MonsterVerse. Whether that's good, bad, or indifferent, or if there's even another film after this, remains to be seen. Again, this premieres on April 24th. Hold your tongues, 
not to mention your tempers and your judgments. Until then, I'm going to try to. Pink fins? And with that last bit of regurgitation, we'll wrap up the Haunted Vista for this time around. I'm not going to make any predictions about when I'll reemerge from my tomb, rotting and fetid, as you all love me, but I can guarantee I will show up again somewhere down the line. In the meantime, everyone have a very wonderful Christmas and a very happy New Year. And as ever, always remember Sven Gulli's credo and brush your fangs, comb your face, drink your milk before it clots, and bite mama goodnight. And again, a very happy holiday season to one and all, and I will see you again, who knows when, somewhere down the line. Take care until then, everyone. Cold, glossy pages of True Magazine call the killer shrew the world's most savage mammal. You'll never venture into a forest alone after you see The Killer Shrews with James Best and Ingrid Good, motion picture horror masterpiece. The Killer Shrews. Midnight Syndicate. Christmas at midnight on the big scary show.
This is Roger Hayes from Hayes Haunt Productions, and you are listening to The Big Scary Show. Ready to dress up your show? Need to pump new life into old props? Just want to show something no one else has? Do what Alice Cooper, Distortions Unlimited, and A-list haunters all over the world do. Wear Von Karam. Durable, handcrafted, dependable, year after year. Von Karam. When you scare enough to wear the very best. Von Karam.com. V-O-N. C-H-A-R-O-N dot com. As we slide back into the swamp where we hid the body, we would like to thank the following sponsors. Screamline Studios. Creepy Collection. Dark Imaginings. Fright Finder. Haunt Pay. Von Caron Productions. And VFX Creates. We'd also like to thank Virgil Franklin, Master of the Ether Muse. And we couldn't do this without the three ghosts, including Badger, Haunt Consulting and more, rabidbadger.org. Meat Hook Jim, check out his other podcast at wrestlehorror.com. And Storm, Rants and more, hauntminute.com. And finally, you, the listener. Without you, we are nothing. The Big Scary Show is copyright Big Scary Show LLC, and no rebroadcast of this show may be made without express permission of the owners. All music used on The Big Scary Show is used with expressed permission of the artists themselves. <laughs>